understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. Welcome back to The Stranded Face Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Hurley. I am super excited about today's guest because um, I love a good story. I love a story from just situation to triumph to understanding those up and down battles and really embracing what's to come next. And I think this woman that our guest today, world-renowned publicist, author of an amazing book, Intermission, has a phenomenal story to tell us of overcoming and something that we could all listen to it and just really embrace of what she calls the second act. And I love the way she phrased this. And I think it's something we all need to hear because it's not always one try. It's not always one way. And sometimes we live our lives of uh, for a very long time, a certain way. And sometimes we have to find ourselves starting all over again. And it's where do you find the grit and the perseverance to do that? And Mindy has written a book about that. So I am so excited to welcome our guest today. Welcome to the Strain of Face podcast, Miss Mindy Barnett. Thank you for having me. I'm such a fan of your show. I'm really excited to be with you, Jessica. Yay, thank you. And I'm even more excited to meet you in person. Guys, I'm going to see her at Barnes & Noble at her book signing in just a, in a few days, a week. We said a week yeah, from today? Yeah, a week. I can't wait. Yeah. today. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Sugar? And I've never actually met someone that did like an actual Barnes & Noble book tour. So I yeah. feel honored. This is cool. <laughs> yeah, this is very, very cool. I'm excited. Yeah. So for my audience who doesn't know you and all about um, all the great work you've done, tell us a little bit about you. And just about this book and why your subtitle did something to me is just about this second act. Okay. So I, um, a little bit about me first, I guess. I, for a living, am a um, publicist and a social media strategist. Prior to opening up my public relations firm about 16 years ago, I spent time in television news. I was an anchor reporter um, in a variety of media markets, including the Chicago area and the New York market and vicinity and Philadelphia and some other places too. Um, so I would say back then I made a conscious decision to go into a quote second act, um, leaving television news on my own my decision it wasn't as though I lost a job or my contract wasn't renewed or whatever and um, decided to you know start fresh new career and on additional like pressure let's start a business right right so but to, to go back a little bit more just to color the listeners in a little bit more about me um I tend to look at life like a, a half glass full kind of girl. I, I definitely am optimistic. Um, I'm definitely like an extrovert, um, very outgoing. I um, never really think there's something that I can't conquer or do. I'm very conscious of the fact that, you know, my path or my, I guess like my, my plan, if you will, may need to sort of alternate a little bit and I might have to look for another trail. Um, but I know that at the end of the day, I'll seize whatever it is that I want to make happen. You just may have to find a different way about going about it. So I think that that mindset has really helped me tremendously 
um, you know, through both careers and being now a single mom, um, for working full time, running a business, now having the book, which I'm super excited about and doing a lot of now speaking engagements and things like that, which is why I decided to write a book. I was hoping to do some motivational talks and this is obviously a really good platform to do so. So, um, that's a little bit about me. I'm a good juggler, multitasker, and lots of energy. Don't sleep a whole bunch like <laughs> many out there listening today. I'm sure yourself included in that. Um, but at any rate, that that's um, a good foundation to start. And then my second act that I reflect most, most in the book is my divorce. So I... Um, was married to a very amazing man. Um, he, you know, didn't do anything to hurt me. Um, you know, nothing significant that would have led me to get divorced. Um, obviously, over time, like you know, things happen, etc. We were married for a decade, and I'd say probably maybe the last, you know, maybe three to four years of that time, I was significantly unhappy. Um, I felt as though our relationship had really plateaued. And, um, you know, I, I are we through therapy, <laughs> I can tell you that we had different thresholds of what love looks like and an ability to love. And not to say he didn't love me. I know he does. And I, I, pretty certain to say he still loves me today and the, the feelings are reciprocated certainly um but i just need more attention affection um you know tangible love um than he you know i guess needed or was able to give me so for that reason um you know i i was unhappy and then you know we had factor in the children and the guilt that's associated with like splitting up a family you know because someone's unhappy i stayed much longer than i should have and that feeling of being paralyzed and unable to make a decision i knew i wanted to get divorced um, I just didn't know how I was going to go about it on uh, when I was going to go about it. And that mountain looked so daunting to me. So I wrote the book basically to, to address that intermission, that time between that act one and act two, where it's somewhat dark, it's somewhat gray. Um, you know, the, you sort of feel as though you're stuck in mud and you can't move your feet. Um, and just kind of like offering the, the, the reader, I should say, um, or listener, because it's not awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on my end I'm not a celebrity and I'm not a therapist I only have my own stories to share things that I've done to help me prevail and so that was really the reason that I write the book and then you know obviously getting into the second act the, the majority of the second act and reflecting on is being single in my second act so this is exactly what the strand of face podcast is about is exactly what your book is about we just coined it two different terms but it's about the middle ground where you may feel like you can't make a decision. You are not empowered. You don't know what next. And people get stuck thinking that that's the rest of their lives. And you were able to kind of go through that phase, embrace that phase. You almost willingly embrace that phase um, based off of your happiness and the choices that you needed. You knew you needed to make, even knowing you didn't know what might be on the other side. And I think that you opening up and being vulnerable in this book about an entirely dark phase and then what came of it on the other side, I think is just so commendable. So Thank you. I appreciate you saying that very much. That means a lot to me. It's that's very really hard for people to get that personal sometimes. And I don't think they realize how helpful everyone has a story. We all go through something very different, but we don't realize how 
a, a story like that, that even people get divorced all the time. Yeah. You yeah. being open, open and vulnerable about it. And then like, I think majority of women's biggest fears are getting married, being middle-aged, having children, and then having to start over. Oh, like, yeah, I mean, it can be. Yeah, no, it's a scary, it's a scary thing to, to, to face. That's for sure. And you're right. I mean, I'm no different than millions of other women out there listening or, you know, and, you know, going about their lives. I just felt that, you know, I know I struggled so much and I felt like if my tales and my experiences could help someone take a step forward a little quicker than they would on their own, then um, I, I served my purpose. Right. And that's, that's, but that's what I love is that you were honest about something that everyone is dealing with and is so necessary because I think people make the mistake of is like, once you decide to divorce someone, everyone kind of thinks, well, good, you guys have decided now you're not meant for each other. So both of you get over it, figure it out and move on. You know, right. there is a healing phase, especially being with someone that long and guilt and children. And I mean, that's a whole mess of combination. Yeah. yeah so so sure. I can't imagine what you went through. Um, and I just honor you for sharing that for sure. Cause I'm sure there's someone out there right now that needs to, needs to read that book. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that person is obviously feeling good, but if not, then I hope that my book gives them some encouragement that they're not alone and they can do it too. Cause I did and I'm still breathing. Right. 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 And I'm doing well. I mean, you know, not every day is happy, but that's like life. Not every day is happy for anybody. No. So, but I'm, I'm much happier today than I was back then. That's, that's for sure. And I also know myself more now than I did back then. And I love myself now much more than I did back then. Right. So they're, they're all part of, you know, the, the lessons that I learned through my intermission phase. And the lessons will be the brightest in the darkest phase. That's so true. Yep. That's the quote. <laughs> You should trademark that one. That was good. I'm curious. I love it. Thank you. I can't stop being a publicist. Uh, Maybe I need to talk to you after this. You need to get me together. Yeah. Well, maybe do a drink after my my, um, book signing at Barnes & Noble. We'll get a little Cosmo or something. Exactly. Yeah. I want to go back to, um, because I kind of just went through what you did so I read a little bit about your backstory and how you um, secured like an on-air news reporter spot like two weeks after college. Yeah. Which is like typically unheard of. Obviously, you have the person personality for it. And so I just imagined you living in your dream job for a long period of time. Yeah. And then you just up and resigned or just decided it was time for something else. Was this at the peak of the divorce? Was it at the end of it? Or was it because you knew you wanted something else? Well, it was well before I got married, um, to be, so not, it might seem confusing or what have you, but I was, um, before I was married, I actually started the public relations firm right around the time that I met my, um, my then husband, you know, we were dating about like three months into me starting the company. Um, I actually, um, attribute the fact that I recognized that I had a company to him. We can get into that a little bit later if it, if it comes up in conversation, but to answer your question, um, I was living the dream and I was so aggressive and I think that made me like a, you know, obviously a good reporter at the time and now a good publicist. I rarely take no for an answer. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I mean, if I get a no, I, I, I know I'm very respectful, but I try to find another way to get a yes, you know, or I find another trail, as I said earlier. So, um, I, I was, you know, unlike my, my peers who are enjoying their senior year and going to the bars and, you know, I did that, I did that too, but with moderation, I spent a lot of time in the library researching TV stations and the certain mile radius from where I live back home in the Philadelphia, New Jersey vicinity and um, was sending tapes out and calling news directors and just really, really pounding the pavement, so to speak. Um, so, uh, yes, I was extremely lucky. I went on that job interview for Adelphia Cable. Literally, I graduated college, I believe, on a Friday and the interview was Monday and I was hired on like two weeks later. I remember I got my tonsils out and my, my pit grandparents answered the phone because they were watching me and they said, <sighs> So and so was on the phone. And I answered it all. I swollen, and it was my new boss to be, and he offered me this position for honestly less than probably minimum wage. But I was so excited to take it because it was so hard. You know that industry is so difficult to break into. So from there, um, I was very lucky again um, covering news in a very you know very busy uh, market for news. There was a lot of national stories that happened to go on that that in that time frame that I was there, which gave me tremendous experience more so than I typically probably would have gotten in a similar station elsewhere and from there I just kind of like moved up 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 so yes I was living the dream um, I loved my career in fact I remember many days when I got into anchoring a little later on in my in my news career in the morning like think the lights were going on and the TV was, you know the cameras were getting ready to go on and I remember thinking to myself I can't believe I'm getting paid for this like I'm really getting paid to do this like this is like so fun I love it you know it was so much fun and I love being in the community and I was my station often put me out to be like the spokesperson for a variety of nonprofit things that they were involved Ooh. in because I was such a people person so that the um the, the audience watching just sort of like really liked me because they felt like they connected with me and I was happy to talk to them in the supermarket like whatever time and I was excited to talk to like the kids and I was you know that's just me I like to talk to everybody so um I guess I was hitting around like age 28 29 and I started feeling like I was getting very burnt out because the majority of what I was doing when I was in news was morning news because I'm obviously about a little on the bubbly side and I read a little younger so I just did very well on morning shows that um, are tend to have a little bit more opportunity to, to share a personality you know and that kind of thing right um, yeah, the evening news is more serious obviously um, but that said I you know my, my call up my call time for the station was 4 a.m. Um, now it would be even earlier I know but they go on the air at 4 now so now it'll probably be like 2 a.m. but it was um, or 3 a.m. but it was 4 and for me I that meant me waking up every day around like quarter to 2 to take a shower get my makeup on like do all of that be at the station you know review the scripts then do the news and you know it was a very big grind and on top of that I was living very far from my family who I'm very close with. So it was just, it was a strain. I was very hard to date. I mean, I did date, but it was difficult because, you know, um, I couldn't really go out on the weekdays because I had to go to bed when people were typically coming home from work so that I was able to have energy and be smart, quote unquote, you know, for work the next day and not be like a zombie. And, <laughs> and then, um, on top of that, like on the weekends, like I obviously tried to go out and socialize and have a life for myself, but you know, come like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, that was like midnight for me. So I'd be like, you know, I had to, <laughs> to fall asleep at the dinner table. I remember my one date 
was like, uh, are you okay? <laughs> like, I'm fine. I'm tired. I'm sorry. It's not you. You know, it was just hard. So I wanted more. And at that time, like my, I saw friends, you know, from college and high school getting married, having kids, like, you know, kind of doing the more traditional stuff and still working and having a career. And I just sort of thought that, you know, I loved my job. Um, and my career was amazing and I was very, very lucky. Um, but I just felt like I wanted to have more. And I, I thought that it might be time for me to transition into public relations, which was my plan B in college, by the way. Um, but you know, something I thought that I would do if I didn't make it in TV or I would do if I got sick of TV later on in life. So this was my later on in life. I came a little earlier than I anticipated. I sort of envisioned myself doing PR when I was like maybe 50, 60, not 30, 40, but nevertheless, you know, it, you just, it was my time. So two years, I, I did some interviews and kind of played around with the thought of doing PR. And then um, on my last job was in Champaign, Illinois, um, doing that morning grind that I mentioned. And my mother fell ill. She had breast cancer. Um, and she's okay now. She Good. actually had another time since then, but she's fine. So, but at the time, it was a lot because she was having radiation. She had her surgery and all of that. So and I was very close with my, so I'm close with my mom. So I was flying home on the weekends to be with my family, flying back, doing the news. It was just, I was like, you know, this is my time. I'm finished. So I started looking for jobs, um, you know, back in Philadelphia. So I'd be closer to home and then was, um, you know, landed a position maybe like, I don't know, like four or five months into the job search and um, resigned from TV. And it was really hard. I cried so hard the day I told my general manager that I, I wanted to leave. I mean, I told him that I was leaving news. I they were there for, they let me out of my contract. It wasn't as though I was leaving to go to another news job and wasn't fulfilling my obligation, but it was hard. I mean, I identified myself as a, I mean, I still think of myself as a journalist. Uh, I think that's what helps me do my job as a publicist that, that's so well, but I, it was who I was. I mean, it was really, really, really hard to leave that. So that was like a second act, you know, transition in a sense, like going from act one to act two back then. Um, and then from there, you know, I eventually started my business like a few months after that. There was some, you know, there was a little time lapse, met my then now ex-husband, then boyfriend slash husband-to-be, and, you know, and then, you know, had a really nice life for about 10 years, doing PR, having kids, having him, you know, living a really, quote-unquote, um, perfect life, you know? So you're, so this is so interesting <laughs> because it's almost like you have several second acts. Yeah, well, that's why the, the intermission in the book is mostly reflecting on the divorce I focus a lot on that because that's my most recent, but then I go backwards and then reflect on the time in news. And I went through infertility too. I have a chapter about some of that because that was a really difficult period of my time, um, my life, I should say. I also reflect on like something that happened in my marriage that affected me forever. Um, and then I was diagnosed with hearing loss, which um, obviously I can hear you and speak perfectly fine, but like it was, um, you know, I have to wear hearing aids. See, I don't, you're on Skype with me, you could see them. Wow. You know, so it's it's you know, I can hear without them, but it's a strain and they don't know how like what my hearing situation is gonna be later on in life. So every year I go to the doctor and I get examined and you know, pray to God, you know, please hope it's not worse. Last year it was a little worse, the year before it was stable. So every year it's like, you know, watch and wait. They just don't know. They don't know what caused it, which makes it very hard for them to figure out how to 
prevent any more loss. They think it's something either in my genetic makeup or perhaps um, something that from the infertility drugs I was taking, not that they caused it, but that could have accelerated something in me that would have happened later on in life. That's most likely what it, what it is. It's just a freak thing. I mean, obviously I wouldn't trade my kids for my ears, but it's still scary, especially because it's how I make my, I have to hear and communicate from my profession, you know? Right. So, yeah, but whatever. It's life, right? It's my thing. Everybody's got a thing. This is my yeah, life. yeah. Wow. But yeah, I have a variety of intermissions that I address in the book. The divorce being the, the the primary one, and then there's a few others. So it it I think it speaks to people that are looking for any kind of life change, not just people that are you know looking to end a relationship. But certainly that's that's key. Well, the so the relationship to me, and I want to get into that, but. The mm-hmm. part about leaving as a reporter and then you crying when you had to leave and it was it was more it sounds like it was more based on just the the bad was starting to outweigh the good. You yeah. were burnt out. Yeah. I, I think people think that dramatic things or terrible circumstances have to happen and that your passion is supposed to be forever. Because there's people out there searching for a passion right now and thinking once they find it, it'll be a forever thing. Or there's yeah. people that are in their passion right now and trying to find ways to keep it refreshed because they think it's a forever thing. And I just I just quit my corporate job that I had that I've loved for, I've done this my whole life since I was 16, was work for corporate, work for nonprofits, major nonprofits that served at-risk kids. And I oh, thought my passion forever was at-risk kids. And I had to honor the fact that I was getting burnt out. Yeah. I was getting burnt out. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less good at what I do or I just had to discover that I could find a passion elsewhere in serving women and serving people like, and I, I are with this podcast. Yeah, exactly. And I I willingly made a choice to transition from one passion to another without anything wild happening. And I, I think that's so interesting that you kind of made that. It is. I mean, it's like, you know, you grow as a person and like life evolves, you know, you have different responsibilities or technology changes, or there could be a variety of, um, you know, uh, you know, factors that would make you essentially like need to put your passion that you thought was going to be your forever passion to bed in a sense, as opposed to, you know, not like killing it. You're just, it had served its purpose and now you're moving to another purpose. I think we all have a variety of purposes. I think, um, you know, my father growing up, he's not retired, but he was a, a high school principal his entire career. I mean, I think when I was, before I was born, he was a teacher, but he stayed in the same school, not even just the district, the same school, his entire career. And I think back then it, that was so common. Right. It's, people change careers all the time and they change. And I feel like you bring a little bit more to the table. I mean, for you, let's just speak to that. So you, you know, came from this nonprofit, you're serving, you know, children and what you want to do women, et cetera, et cetera. But you're bringing the experience that you have from having been corporate America with the nonprofits to the table in this capacity. So, and me, I mean, well, like PR and, and uh, TV or just journalism, not just TV, very much go hand in hand, especially the way we do PR here or more media strategy um, as opposed to like event planning and things along that. But, um, you know, I do my job so much better because I have so much experience behind me from working in news. So I know how to pitch a story. I know what the reporter wants. I obviously want to serve a client. I know what he or she wants, but I need to appease the, the media so that they do the story for the client and he gets what he wants. So I feel as though, you know, I wouldn't have had that 
to bring to the table had I not spent all that time in television news. And had I not been in news, I, I'm now like using this book as like now, um, I don't want to say like a second act because I'm still keeping MB and associates very much alive to say the least. I mean, we're expanding and stuff like that. But me personally, Mindy Barnett's brand, I want to get into motivational speaking. I mean, it's a passion I've had, um, something on my radar for a very long time. And I think this is like the right time, right? You know, it's perfect timing, um, mostly women empowerment for the most part. And, you know, I'm able to use, you know, I'm starting out of the gate with um, a professional speaker's like platform as opposed to, you know, someone who's going to speak, you know, pro bono or gratis or whatever it may be because they're trying to earn stripes. I mean, trust me, I want to earn stripes and I'm, I, I'm expecting to earn many, but I have all of that background. I've already spoken publicly for 10 years on television and have done a lot of, you know, um, speaking to large audiences on behalf of the stations that I worked with. So I, with that experience of bringing it to the public speaking, you know, uh, arena. Does that make sense? No, so they all kind of blend together. I mean, you don't necessarily have to pick a passion that has anything to do with your, 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 you know, your past passion, but I think people should give themselves a break. I mean, you're allowed to change your mind, you know, you're allowed to change direction and, you know, and people shouldn't think that, you know, they're failing or they're a failure or they're making a mistake because you're not, you're, you're making the failing is if you don't pursue something else if that's where your heart is and you know like and, and the other experience isn't wasted time it's going to be helpful to you in your new passion yeah I was gonna say I love what you your take on it because it's kind of like it's a everything is a, the universe has a way of aligning us and putting on a, us in positions where we feel like we're inadequate right now or we feel like we're not where we're supposed to be I talk to women every single day that say I'm 27 I'm 32 and I feel like I don't have my shit together and I'm like no, 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 no. Like you're exactly where you need to be right now because like you're saying that that news reporter role that you thought was your forever passion kind of mm -hmm. has helped you transition into the next step with all mm -hmm. the skills that you needed. So you mm -hmm. were being primed for mm -hmm. what was next. And it's almost like you could be in a customer service role right now and being primed to prepare for what's next. Like totally agree. Everything's 100%. a stepping stone. Right. You have to look at it that way, or the person has to look at it that way and then be mindful to take the experience with them and not leave it in the back door. Exactly. You know? But it's not, I mean, who really has their, their stuff together? I mean, Amen. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> not I mean, like, come on. Every day's like, you know, a rat race. We all live it. Yep. I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, if we did it, we'd all be sitting on an island drinking our champagne glass and, you know, like not working and whatever. Who wants that like either? I'd be bored. But I'm just saying, like, like, you know. I would say, yeah, five out of seven days a week. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm right with you. Trust and those are probably the days that I'm attached to a real calendar and everything. <laughs> like a hard one? You know, the one you write on? Yeah. Oh, I have, I have that, like, on my desk. And I have it in my phone and my computer and... List for list for list for list. And I still forget things. Yep. You have to. It's just for human. It's so. for human. We were not right. chemically engineered to, to, to operate at the way we, at the level we operate on. Majority of us operate on now. That's true. Yeah. Very much so. So the transition from news reporter to this MB and associates, you know, kind of, um, solidifying your publicist role all kind of makes sense now because we've kind of talked about it as a priming and stepping mm -hmm. stone and but the divorce is not that's more circumstantial right so it's like 
yes, it was a decision you made, but it was probably something 10 years ago when you got married, you were like, didn't, didn't see this coming. I thought I was going to, yeah, I mean, I thought I was going to be buried next to this man. No, I mean, my parents are both still married. They're both in their seventies. I have a sister. Um, she's married. I don't come from a divorced family. So it was actually, I was going against that. You know, I was trying not to get divorced because I didn't want my kids to be, um, you know, product of a divorced family, like that sort of thing. So no, I, I definitely fought against that, you know, getting divorced for quite a while. And then I just felt like it was inevitable eventually, you know, and then, um, I met somebody and it's not why I got divorced. He kind of came into my life like midway. I mean, he came into my life before we were very good friends, but in a romantic way after I had asked for um, a separation and, you know, nothing really transpired until after, um, you know, I had asked for a divorce in terms of like coming clean about our feelings for one another, but I'm bringing it up because he shared with me the feeling of like butterflies and excitement and I was happy again in that way and I remember one day driving I think somewhere right was coming home from work or whatever and I was singing in the car now I sing like I took vocal lessons my whole life I'm like a showgirl hence the name intermission and yeah <laughs> like all that, right so I um I always sang before, always with belt out songs in the car. And I don't know when it stopped, but it stopped. And I didn't even realize it did. But one day I was driving home. I was happy because I the prospect of him being in my life in that way just made me excited again about me and life and stuff. I mean, I loved my job. Obviously, I was very passionate about MB and Associates and I was very dedicated to my children. But for a very long time, that was really all I had, you know, like of happiness in my life. Not to say I feel bad because he's not like a bad guy. It just wasn't for me. Right. Right. And as in in transition and what have you going, you know, as I evolved as a person. So I was driving home and I think it was like a Katy Perry song roar (laughs) on the radio. Like just, it was like when it was soon thereafter it was released and I was singing it and I stopped myself. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm actually singing. You know, like I haven't sung in so long and I smiled. I'm like, wow, this is what it feels like to be happy. Like I knew I wasn't happy, but I didn't, I forgot what it felt like to be happy. Be happy. And he gave me that, you know, and, and I felt like, you know, if I could feel that for him and me, maybe it wouldn't work and it didn't. I mean, we're not together, but like I thought that, you know, if, if I could feel that for him, then I could feel that for somebody else. So, you know. A lot of things have happened between he and I over the time frame, but I will always be thankful to him for giving me that because I think that really pushed me out the door to, to know that, you know, I have still have a life to live of myself. You know, I'm only 40. I could still do it. I could still have happiness. And then I also felt like, you know, it's a separate situation. If I, I talk a lot, sorry. (laughs) Okay. Um, I was, um, another like, you know, aha moment. I hate that expression, but it fits. I was, um, and I write about this in the book. I was like in the kitchen and I was, you know, putting, loading the dishwasher or something like that. And my, um, ex-husband came up behind me and sort of gave me like a bear hug, which was amazing, but like he rarely did stuff like that, you know, you know, he wouldn't be the one to hold my hand walking to a movie theater. Let's put it that way. You know, it was just not me. It's just kind of not warm like that. And so um, my daughter was like, ew, what are you doing, daddy? Like she was beside herself because she had never like 
seen it. Now we weren't like making out. He just right. like gave a hug. So I was like in my head, I, I, at first I was surprised and happy that he did it. And then I was like upset that that was her reaction. So that evening when I was putting her to sleep, you know, I was talking with her and I said, you know, daddy hugged me you know that's normal like that's what mommies and daddies do and you know your mama and papa like they they do that I mean they do it they did that to my you know it grossed me out like they did everything it's <laughs> another story for another podcast right or whatever but they're, the bottom line is they were very much affectionate and very much in love and still are and I saw that growing up so I wanted to emulate that so I wanted her to see and my son to be in a house that either had that sort of a love and affection or if it wasn't going to have that kind of love and affection, they just had me and my my love and affection for them so that they didn't think that that was normal. I didn't want them to then find partners and not have that same passion because they just think that's so sad. Right. And as I was saying that to her and telling her, you're going to meet a prince and he's going to take such great care of you and you know, you're know he's going to love you and cherish you. And as I was saying all that to her to put her to sleep, I thought to myself, and this may have been before like the romantic situation came up. Like I think it was before that. I don't remember in my mind, but I remember thinking to myself, "I'm still young. Like I still have my life. Like why is why is my time up? Like you know." And I was very forthcoming with my ex-husband. You know, I was not, didn't keep those feelings inside. It's not like he didn't know that I felt that way. I, you know, wasn't an ongoing conversation, but like often I would say I was unhappy, and that and I told him why and. He was gonna try, and he was tired, or what? You know, people are just different. So, whatever. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's such a bold decision to have to make. It it's was hard. Yeah. I, bet. I, mean, I thought about it for a long time. So I thought about it, and I knew I wanted to do it, and I went to marriage counseling, and that wasn't really helping. So then I started going to therapy myself. Um, to just talk it all out and make it what I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That was always the subject that, you know, I just like, sat down. And then one day, I mean, she, she gave me really good advice. I mean, she told me, and I have this in the book too, you know, find things while you're contemplating your life, like, and you're not happy, happy, just find things that give you happiness. So I started taking dance classes again, trying to do, I mean, my, I didn't have a lot of spare time, but I, whatever spare time I had, I tried to, you know, I, I tried to like, um, do something to make myself, I take advantage of it to make myself happy. So I did that. And that gave me an hour of happiness a week. That was awesome for a while. Right. I was really happy with that. That was like one year, you know. But at any rate, um, one session, she said to me, well, let's see. So you know how you feel now on this side of the fence. It's not probably going to get much better, but it likely won't get much, or it's likely not going to get much worse but it may not get much better either. It's probably this is what it's going to be. You know, it's not going to get better, but it may not get worse. So this is it. Or you can take a risk and go to the other side, being like after the divorce and before it. Um, and you, it may be worse, which was my fear. Like I would be making a mistake. You know, my kids would suffer. I would like, be sorry I did it, like all of that. Or it could also be better. So it was that could be better element like possibility that gave me that 
that like additional push that I needed to, to confront him. And then I just decided when I was going to do it and, you know, I had a plan and I actually told him sooner than I intended to. Cause once I made my mind up, I was like, I had to do it right away. Um, and I told him and we took baby steps with it. I mean, I didn't flat out say I want to get divorced. I said, I wanted to separate cause I wanted to be sure that's what I wanted to, you know, once we started in that direction and then, you know, we weren't separated very long. We were probably separated like maybe two months by separated he like was in the guest room so that also pushed probably pushed me why i wanted to get divorced sooner because once we were separated and we were so cohabitating it was a very unpleasant ex- existence just of course, least, of course you know it was a lot of tension but i think it was best for the kids at least in our situation to do it that way because it was like little steps like they remember them saying why is daddy in the guest room and i was like well mommy and daddy are on a time out you know how when you're bad and you do something well daddy didn't do anything bad but sometimes grown-ups just need that you know and then you know then I would I remember my well, my son was really young so he didn't really understand but she, my daughter at that point was in I think first grade so or second sorry she was in second grade so I which made her about eight so I would say to her you know she had a friend in her class and they had a divorce the, the little girl had divorced parents and I used to just make it sound so really awesome like oh like so I don't remember this little girl's name she's not in that school district anymore but so and so like her mommy has like she has two beds and she has two this and she's through that and she's got you know she heard that both of the parents were then remarried and she had slit half siblings from each fa- like family and i'm like oh she's all these brothers and sisters and i just made it seem really really fun and then when we finally did tell the kids that we were getting divorced and all of that it wasn't like a big shock to them i um, mean again my son was really indifferent it wasn't a big shock to her and then i made it really fun about like i helped her she helped me pick out my house and she totally decorated her own room the way she wanted like i let her pick out the paint colors and like we pick up bed spreads together like, so I made it like a very positive thing which I also talk about in the book because I think that that helped my situation tremendously neither one of them are quote affected they're very happy they totally understand that we both love them and then we cohabit to cohabitate god forbid we <laughs> we co-parent really well Right. You know, so um, I've done a lot of TV segments about how to do that peacefully because I, I use my business skills and stuff like PR tactics in that space because the kid, the children, the you know, are basically the client and you need to keep the peace on behalf of them, you know, do right by the child. And I think like when feelings get in the way and people reflect back on what their relationship used to look like, it can be really hard for um, exes to, to do that. You know, because it's much, you know, you, you're, you've already lived with that person. So you can be like, F you, you know, whatever. but you can't do that. Right. You, can't, you have to maintain that line of respect. And if it's not um, working out, your conversation is just not going anywhere. Basically, take yourself out of it. Remove yourself temporarily and revisit it when you're in a different mind frame or mindset. Yeah. Because the children are basically, yeah. Yeah. We're going to get hurt. Yeah. Yep. Wow. No one wins if you fight like that. So is that what inspired what inspired you after going through all this to write a book about it? Just okay, I can tell you that too. It's like always like big situation, and I I'm not one to like. I mean, I pondered about the divorce, but like you know, I when I decided like career with my career, whenever I wanted something, I usually pretty much set out and did it. You know, like in a very speedy time. It wasn't like I became super successful right away, but at least my plan was in motion. I didn't sit there and ponder, 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 uh, except leaving news. But I'm saying like, once I decided to do a PR firm, I did it right away, like stuff right. like that. So at any rate, um, to answer your question, I, um, it was my ex-husband's birthday. 
um, about two years ago. And I was at, like, I, he came with us to dinner. It was like my night with the kids. And we have like 50-50 custody with the kids. So I get them a few nights during the work week. He does two. And we split the weekend, like a rotation or whatever. So at any rate, this was my night. We were sitting at a restaurant and I treated him to dinner and um, I invited him to come with us, you know, and have dinner. And then I, I went up to the waitress. And I'm like, can you get him like a piece of cake and put a candle in it? Like, so I just like to do that. I always, my, I always like to brought a candle. I think it's good luck on your birthday. So we did. And I took a picture and I posted on social media <laughs> and like all of these people um, were commenting um, and liking the picture. Like there was like, I think 200 likes on that post, you know, which isn't a huge amount. If you're like an influencer with a million people, I have like 5,000 friends, but most of them are friends that I literally like, you know, speak with on a regular basis that were liking it and things like that and commenting. And this one girl who's a, a friend of mine um, wrote that she's a teacher and she wrote, you know, I can't tell you how many parent teacher conferences I have to conduct twice because the, you know, the parents just can't sit in the same room with one another. And if they only knew, I mean, they're divorced parents, I think she right. wrote, you know, and if they, if they only knew that how hard it is on their kids and how they're hurting their kids and she you should teach a class and I wrote back and I said I'm not going to teach a class but you just gave me an idea for a book and because I had always kind of wanted to write a book was always like on my like you know bucket list of career things I wanted to do but I you know went back and forth with what I would write about over time um so it started out as like kind of like a parental guide for co-parenting peacefully um and then once I got into it and started like sharing like I don't know like I was trying starting to paint the picture about why I got divorced and then it just sort of like started pouring out of me all of the stories and things like that so it turned into more of like a motivational book that also offers those lessons but more about how to to take care of yourself eventually and then like you know be happy with you you're a better mom better dad you know better employee better employee um you know leader if you own a business whatever it is you'll be better in general if you're good to yourself absolutely wow and you're even better when you can take something and serve other people with it yeah, so that's what I wanted to do, you know. Um, you know, some people, as you probably know, being out there, you know, there's some, like, skeptical people, to put it nicely. <laughs> and who are you to write a memoir? You're not a celebrity. You know, you know what? I never said I was. Like, right. be quiet. Zip your lip. Like, I just had... I wanted to help somebody. So, you know, shoot me. I wanted to be, I happened to be in a, in a career where I'm very much out in the forefront and like being in front of people. And I wanted to use that talent and those skills to help people do something with themselves if they felt lost, because I felt lost for so long. And it's the worst feeling Right. with stranded. That's like, you know, that feeling of being like, where am I going? Like what's happening? You know, what am I going to do with myself? I, I had a job to go to every day. But I just still felt stranded. I was stranded in my personal life, you know? So what, so I feel like when people go through situations like this, tough circumstances like this, they either flop, fold, or like the few persevere. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're, you're continuing to do that. But in the times when it didn't feel that way, what kept you going? 
I would try to keep my mind positive. I would run. I started, I, that was also by chance. I'm not athletic. Um, as I mentioned a little earlier, I like to sing and I was always in performing. I was a cheerleader, but I never, ever was an athlete at all. I mean, when I say cheerleader, I wouldn't have made the squad this now, how the way they perform now with uh, gymnastics and stuff like that. Right. I mean, we did stunts, but it wasn't to that level. It was more like a dancing cheerleading kind of situation. But to that, um, I... One day when I was cohabitating <laughs> with my almost ex, we weren't divorced yet, I don't think, I was like, I have got to get out of this house. So right. so I, um, but I, I didn't want to leave. I, I forget what we had to do. We had to go somewhere with the kids, like not that, you know, in about an hour from where, whatever time it was. So I just decided to go for a jog. So I took my phone and I like jogged. And by jog, I mean like I jogged and I walked and I jogged and I walked. I came back. It was only like 30 minutes, but I felt so much better. So I made that a regular thing. And before I knew it, I actually like would be running to music and I would kind of my mind just sort of like escaped itself in a sense. And I felt free um, doing it like it was outdoors. It was like right around the springtime when I started doing this, you know, and all of that, which I still prefer to run outside versus in. So yep. to answer your question, that became a big um, routine for me and helped me tremendously because it was just a natural stress reliever. Plus the endorphins were like really helpful. I um, I went and I, as I mentioned, I did therapy. Um, I also sought like support from mediums. Um, one in particular who I know travels around the world or the, the, the country, I should say, Elaine Portner. She's Ooh. amazing. I went and saw her a couple of times and, you know, we did sessions and she would talk to um, my deceased relatives, especially my pop-up Al, who is my um, my maternal grandfather, um, he is what I believe my guardian angel, and he you know would give me advice um, about life in general, and you know combating my, my demons that I was dealing with, and you know dealing with the um, the love interest I had that was causing more upset than happiness at that at that moment, um, and things like that, just because I felt like heck is happening you know i want to just be happy like why you know right. ever going to be happy am i ever going to find true love like what the heck so you know that was really comforting um i also read a book um that it's like angels 101 by doreen oh my gosh i want to try to google it on my phone so i can share this with um, everybody but at any rate um i read that book it was recommended to me by my really good friend jennifer and it helped me a lot because it teaches you to like look for signs so if you're confused you don't know what to do or you're not sure if you're supposed to look for like, like numbers or signs or names or it's feathers too like have you ever heard of that it's really no. cool so yeah um you should get this book so i'm gonna find it for you hold on one second um but at any rate um i would that i would do that like pretty religiously um and that helped me a great deal i also you know was very blessed and still am blessed to have like amazing women in my life i mean my mom obviously being one but also just you know my great great friends and a lot of them kind of came out of the woodwork i got reconnected with a few that i lost touch with since childhood because i took a residence like part-time in new york for work purposes but that became like a personal pleasure too and you know that helped me so so much and her name's doreen virtue and the book's called um angels 101 angel numbers mm. amazing so they sing <laughs> <laughs> the microphone just brings it out of me i don't know <laughs> Um, but anyway, I, that was that the, the friendships were, were a lot and it really made me feel like, you know, 
Then I don't have a life partner. I mean, I would love to have a life partner one day. I liked being married a lot. I'm, I'm, I didn't get divorced because I didn't like to be committed to somebody. I just want to get married to somebody that is right more compatible person. with me, right? So I felt like, um, you know, if I never do, because I'm not lucky to in, that, in that regard in life, at least I have really amazing girlfriend friendships, you know, like that could be like life partners, like mini life partners. Those are obviously not going to be life partners, but, you know, enough of support to back me when I need like a push. And right. I was, that, that's where, where the friendships come in. Fervor with me and my, my passion for, for myself and believing in myself and, you know, finding different outlets to kind of like de-stress. And then the faith was, I would, you know, lean on the mediums, as I mentioned, um, the angel book. And then I also, um, actually I'm Jewish. So I, um, I, I went to temple and prayed and then I wound up for a variety of reasons getting this adult bat mitzvah because I never was bat mitzvah as a kid and I did it because I wanted to be a good example for my children because they started giving me flack about going to Hebrew school and I didn't have to um but, <laughs> but it really turned out to be like a really good healer for me because being in temple once a week which was required to do this these classes that I needed for this bat mitzvah just being in that in that building made me feel safe like I felt comfort and I knew God was going to take care of me. Um, and if you don't believe in God or you're not Jewish, it doesn't really matter, but just having something above you that's there, you know, whatever it is, like someone who passed away or whatever you, you know, wherever you find solace and, and peace, like just totally lean on that. Cause that helped me a lot. Well, I love that you talk about all of these avenues because when someone is going through something like that, it can, it can make or break you, break you. It can eat you alive or serve you. Um, but you have to, you can't settle. You have to seek, you have to seek change. You have to seek help. You have to, you have to lean on something to get through. Well, sometimes we're not built for that. And people think they have to be so independent and so strong that they have to do it all on their own. Um, but there's so many ways to, push through leaning on other people or other things or things you have to seek something bigger than you. I agree. We all need some support. Everybody yeah. does. Yeah. You know, everybody does. And so, and I, I, nothing gives me more pleasure and, you know, um, happiness and supporting somebody that needs it. So, you know, lean on those that less love you because there's, everybody's got somebody that, that cares about them, you know, and if you don't call me, I'll help you. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, totally. But you, it, it just—I think if you don't make a change and you want to make a change, eventually you're gonna—you're gonna just disintegrate. I mean, that's how I felt. I was gonna like decompensate if I didn't do something for myself in time, and I didn't want to be that person. I didn't—I wanted to thrive at work, and I wanted to be a good mom. Um, more, most important was the kids. I wanted to be strong for them, and I didn't want to be crying and sad and like this, like you know, not wanting to do things for with them because it was just in a bad place. So that's not the kind of mom um, or person that I am. I know I'm not. So I, I made the, um, the necessary changes to try to, you know, fix that. It's still a work in progress. I mean, I'm still, I'm still, I mean, I'm out of the intermission. I'm in my second act, but it's the beginning of the second act. Like it's just maybe like, um, scene two, <laughs> right. Maybe from Charmin comes on scene six. Yeah. <laughs> so through this whole journey, what was the best advice you ever received? And the journey, I guess the advice that I got from that therapist, to be honest with you, in terms of like not make, you know, if you, 
you could be better on the other side, it could be worse, but it could be better. I mean, I've gotten a lot of really, really good advice from friends and my, my parents certainly um, over time, you know, but that was the, the one that like, I guess in my head, like, you know, there's certain moments that you just don't forget. Like I, I remember sitting in her office, like I remember what I was wearing that day. I remember it was like an afternoon, like I'm on Tuesday at four o'clock and just sitting there with a, a handful of tissues and it was like spring and I was like, you know, all right, I'm gonna, and I think you're right, I'm gonna try. I didn't know when, but I knew that at least I made the decision I was going to do it, right. you know, and then, you know. Wow. So deep question. This yeah. is kind of something new I've been asking my guests okay. uh, because it's, it's something that I'm kind of filtering through and God forbid, you know, you were to ever leave this earth in a timely manner or in a, not in a timely manner, in a, in, in an unexpected, <laughs> oh I didn't mean to say it that way. I'm sorry. See, I'm clearly, I'm still getting used to this question. If, if you were to leave this earth, um, before you expected to, what would you want to be known for? My smile. Oh, not, and I don't mean that in a, a like aesthetically vain way. No, but I the mean, whole time I've been talking to you, <laughs> that's mean, all I, I see. I think I'm a warm soul, and I've been, you know, I've been told that by my friend Jenna, who saw like a post I posted last week. She was having a bad day, and I, it was a silly post. I was just in my car and I was smiling. I was talking about something I did that day, but she like you just made me smile, like just like you're cheery. So I think that. My warm and comforting um, and uplifting soul is just a happy soul. So I would want to be known for that, for making people feel a little lighter when coming in, you know, in contact with me. Ah, I love it. Because everybody doesn't have to have this, and I'm not saying that you don't, but people think that, that they have to light up this, this huge purpose. This, I have to be known for this massive legacy. But some, yeah. sometimes our roles are to just make everyone's load a little bit lighter. I think, I mean, I, I'm really involved in a lot of, like, I'm really, I'm like on the board for the American Heart Association and like things like that. And I obviously like want to have a purpose in a bigger way, but I feel like if you could touch one person, just one. Yep. That's all you really need to do because then that person might touch another person and that person might touch another person. The ripple effect. Three, you have your movement. Right. Exactly. Yep. Well, Mindy, tell everyone where they can find your book, where they can stalk you and where they can find out more about you. Stalk me. Stalk me. Okay. <laughs> so, the book is on Amazon. Um, it's Intermission, How Fervor, Friendships, and Faith Took Me to the Second Act, Mindy Barnett. It's also available in Barnes & Noble online and in the stores. And it's sold in just about every bookstore um, throughout the U.S. and Canada and in London. I'm actually going to be doing something in London, I think. Nice. Yeah. So that's there. Um, I also have a website for the book and me, which is just Mindy Barnett. And Mindy is spelled oddly. Thank you, Daddy. And my <laughs> N-D-I-E. <laughs> Barnett, B-A-R-N-E-T-T dot com. And on there, um, you can see I, you know, all of my different book signings and speaking events that maybe if anybody wants to come and meet me, I'd love to meet you. Um, they're kind of all over the country. I'm, for instance, going to Denver in July and some other Arizona and I'll be up in like the Boston area probably this summer and things like that. Um, and then for PR, if any of you people looking for your second passion want some help and get publicity, um, get booked to do like news in your local media markets. I work with folks all over the country. That is a little more tricky over the website, so I'll say it's lower. It's MB as in Mindy Barnett, 
and which is spelled out associates a-s-s-o-c-i-a-t-e-s pr as in public relations.com so there you can you know you can click contact and then i'll email me and we can set up a time to chat so i'm um, love to help anybody i can you can send me all the links i'll have all the links in the show notes to to contact okay. and follow more or grab her book intermission and uh we thank you so much for being super vulnerable and honest about everything you've been through and just using that to want to inspire other women Thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I hope to meet you. You will. We will meet. Congratulations on everything. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of The Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded face is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.